here I am. Very excited to be in conversation with Clinton Callahan, um, who I met like I don't know, a week or so back, a couple of weeks back, and has I believe a huge amount to offer permaculture. I can share the story about how I came across Clinton's book. It's called Radiant Joy. Brilliant love. I kind of intercepted it. Clinton had sent it to David Holmgren, sensing that it, that his work had some sort of resonance and maybe some stuff to offer permaculture. Um, and then I, then I, nicked, I, I ducked off with it, and uh, I'm yet to give it back to him. But I, I, I read the book. I found it incredibly useful, just sort of personally, and just all these new ideas about kind of navigating space and life, and 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 and, and moving from standard kind of ordinary relationships personally professionally in, into the space of extraordinary and then there's even some stuff beyond that and um and, and i really got a feel of 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 resonance with the stuff around generative transformation or or kind of healthy living process that um that that enhances life and beauty and wholeness anyway that inspired me when i found about uh the training in a five-day training called expand the box in wellington new zealand uh, to show up to that um similarly there i got a lot of value personally as a trainee and was so delighted to kick off some conversations with you, Clinton, around the benefits mm. and, and the, the exciting edges um, and overlaps between possibility management and permaculture, um, which you've been developing for a, sim a roughly a similar time period, right? Like permaculture was kind of developed in the late mid to late seventies and you've, mm -hmm. you've been at it for a similar time. That's right. That's right. And, That's and right. To, yeah. Yeah. And to my knowledge, like I, I, until I came across this book on David Holmgren's coffee table, I, I'd never heard of possibility management, which is the general name of your approach. Um, and, and I thought I'd mention too that part of how you talk about your approach is in terms of what you, what you, what you call next culture, this idea that, um, which we can explore perhaps in our chat, that, that mm -hmm. our current mainstream kind of modern culture is, is comprised mainly of, um, well, I mean, uninitiated children or, or kind of um, immature um, kind of mindsets and activities that are effectively wrecking havoc in all directions and that a lot more is possible, which resonates so much with, with permaculture, permanent culture, which is what would it look, what, what would a culture that could persist and not screw everything up look mm. like? So already there, it's like ding, ding, ding. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, maybe before I kind of open it up and, and, and um, to you i could i can share that i think it was two days ago now i had this kind of epiphany which was i was sitting with um the the cano canonical definitions of permaculture which which all start with this idea of conscious design of consciously designing nature mimicking systems that that provide for human needs locally as well as enhancing local and bioregional ecosystem health um, which anyone into permaculture will know that's you know that, that's pretty close to the core the essence of what permaculture is about and of course it starts with these two words conscious design and and having read some of your stuff and spent time in one of your trainings i realized how important this word conscious is and i thought wow what a great way to explore how these these two approaches um these things you call in your language you call game worlds permaculture being a game world and and possibility management being a game world how, how they might um, intersect and I thought I'd just share quickly a few of a, a few flavors of my own work with this word design and then bring you in with this word conscious sound good okay <laughs> um, yes yeah, so as as listeners of this podcast and followers of, of the blog will know um, I've been really poking around this idea of design 
and I've, over time I've even come to realize that this, the word design, one issue I've, I've come to have with it is that in a dictionary definition, design is about upfront planning. It's about drawing a picture or a plan and at some point later implementing it. And so I'm moving towards the word creation, you know, because that's what permaculture is really about is creating these amazing abundant regenerative systems that are good for people and place and all that stuff where design is sometimes part of that mix. But I'm, 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 I'm kind of pushing through the, the fog of this word design and arriving at this idea of creation um, and, and ideas of like related ideas of transformation and, and gen generating and, and moving more to how nature creates itself um, as opposed to um, falling into the, the culturally dominant default design processes approaches which are about master planning and prioritizing rationality and all that kind of stuff so anyway if we move from design to to creation then we can say well permaculture is about conscious creation and before we even move on to the fact that's what, what what we focus that creation at what we're creating there's this word conscious and a big part of my um discovery after inquiring and experimenting and practicing in this domain for over 10 years now is that so much of what I see and have seen in myself and others is is I can't I can't say it's conscious creation. It's it's unconsciously perpetuating, regurgitating, um, propagating, um, culturally dominant ideas about design and creation, which to me contradict the essence of what permaculture is about, and 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 really make it make it much harder for permaculture to, to realize its beautiful. Um, gift or its offering in, in the world, and so yeah, I thought I thought it would be really exciting today to have you speak to of conscious creation and, and what that means for you, and um, and we just we see where it goes. Yeah, thank you. <clears throat> when you first told me about your realization about how the word conscious is the first part of the description of of how permaculture would be presented in a person's mind or in their life or in their work the it was a it's a big it's a big thing to think about that maybe we weren't conscious of using the word conscious when we were when the original intention was to use the word conscious with regards to per permaculture and what happened to that you know where where is that gone like how how can that how can something so big and important slip through the fingers of the designers when when it's the first it's the it's the, the gateway word to the whole idea of what permaculture could really be about. Uh, so in the work that we're doing over here in possibility management, the consciousness is also a big word. And uh, so I don't pretend to have a, a definition of consciousness because it's almost like consciousness would be bigger than any definition that you could bring to it. At the same time, there's, I think there's ways to go at this that make real sense and practical sense, particularly with regards to human beings in our predicament right now on the planet with what's emerging as design errors. I mean, there's really, there's so many design errors right now with regards to, for example, using hierarchical power structures in organizations which are so easily hijacked by the psychopathic agenda because it's the psychopaths who are are most skilled at, at doing whatever it takes to get a position of power and so if we submit really all our our important decisions 
uh, political, scientific, religious, educational, med medical, however you want to, whatever you want to call it, agricultural decisions to organizations that are designed with a hierarchical power structure, it's a design error. And so how, how do we approach these things with a more conscious, a conscious orientation starting from ourselves you know starting from you and me and our people listening and thinking about the stuff we're diving into here and, and so i i just want to say a number of permaculture people have been using possibility management for a number of years right now and and there is this resonance between the approach the approach of of taking more higher levels of responsibility for things that that maybe most people don't realize we can take responsibility for. And so going at it from that way, if you, I, th I think about responsibility as applied consciousness. Like responsibility itself is consciousness in action. And so here's this word consciousness being brought into practical reality and showing up in ways that empower us to um, take ownership of and make choice about and take action in domains and actually source source works in uh, domains that that other other approaches wouldn't allow us to. So if we're if we're if we're doing permaculture and we're using conscious permaculture, it's saying that we can make choices about, take actions with, and source um, more aware results than we would be if we were not using conscious work so consciousness then to me is really getting to being to mean what are we aware of and in fact what are we aware of that we're aware of so becoming aware of what you're aware of is a is an ex i find that to be an experience a direct experience of consciousness so that as I'm as I'm working in my daily life, and as I'm working with people and projects and game worlds, as you say, for example, right now I'm I'm talking to you from Tui, which is a conscious community. So all of a sudden, the word conscious is there again. Conscious community. It's an intentionally created community of people in the North Island of, in the north part of the South Island of New Zealand called Tui Community. It's been around for 35 years and the, the way they implement permaculture here and the way that they've been using the permaculture in the land, we've just started using it in their, in their social organization with the people. So it was a, a total dive into exactly the conversation we're talking about, which is how do you, how do you take the, the, outer permaculture of what people know today of is permaculture and how do you how do you bring that how do you bring the principles of permaculture um, in alignment with the principles of conscious community and and um, inner permaculture you know the development of a person's inner garden and inner resources and bring bring the two together because i i'm i'm pretty cl clear about that having been in a couple of permaculture projects myself that if you don't if you don't work on the inner permaculture 
of each person involved and of the organization itself and the project itself, the outer permaculture isn't going to persist. It will it will come apart at the seams for one reason or another. If, you know, if I if I plant trees now, who's to say nobody's going to cut them down 25 years from now? Because the so the so the ex the inner permaculture is not developed as as much as the outer permaculture, that kind of thing. So consciousness is this being aware of what we're aware of and giving us choices about what kind of choices we can make and um, opening up a whole domain of inner permaculture in parallel with the outer permaculture that's been developed. And I, I think it's a fabulous, uh, fabulously rich um, domain to dive into and work with. And I think so many people are hungry for this. I think so many people actually enter the area of permaculture seeking and hungry for ways to work with their, their inner resources in themselves and bring them, bring them, activate them in, in new ways. Mm, More conscious that. ways. <laughs> yeah, totally. I, I love that. Yeah. And so much is sort of coming up. I'm one of these people who are so hungry for the stuff and and so excited. One thing I realized is that um, it's almost like I, I might put it in terms of a consciousness blind spot or or hazy spot in permaculture. Because one thing that permaculture has a great deal of consciousness about, a great deal of awareness about, is the is the um, um, the dynamics of healthy ecosystems. You know, there's, mm-hmm. I mean, that's a huge part of permaculture's um, uh, value, I think, and what it, what it brings is, is a lot of ecological literacy, energy literacy, reading the patterns of nature, all that stuff. And a lot of that I see is um, uh, awareness around the, the important aspects, like a lot of permaculture principles are, are, are functional descriptions of, of characteristics of healthy systems. Um, and, and, and as you were talking, this, this um, just for the listeners, um, the way Clinton and his collaborators um, share possibility management is through these things they're called thought maps. So, because I, I, I might just refer to when you said when you shared this map, just so you know what I mean. The, the thought maps and each thought map shares one very um, clear. Let's almost say well, I wouldn't almost say I will say piercingly clear <laughs> distinction, which um, you then get to try out and experience inside your own internal ecology. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, one of the maps you presented was was what you called the map of new results. The idea being that if you want a different result, you mm. need to take different actions. And then there's a sort of chain. If you want different actions, you need to make different decisions and so on. And it kind of came back to you need different, what you call thoughtware. You basically did make a different sort of set of assumptions and, and ideas and, and processes. Um, and, and my work, uh, I, I've, I'm always open to conversation about this, but what I've found in myself and, and in permaculture in general, going through the literature and practicing and talking and having all these conversations as a podcast, is that there's a relatively, uh, the, the, the ecological literacy, the literacy in, about healthy nature mimicking outcomes is off the charts in permaculture. The literacy around the dynamics of um, processes that are reliably able to generate that kind of stuff, there's a, there's a relative lack of process literacy there. And um, often, I also think that the focus on kind of outer ecological outcomes, um, as great as it is, it can um, it, it can not so distract us. But what I, what excites me about your work is that it's so damned general. You know, like this idea of mm-hmm. conscious creation inside, outside, uh, uh, in, in 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 any context at all, where 
it, it's the nature of the process you use. And like you say, how aware you are of the process that lets you get better at the process. And then you can point this thing in any direction. And whether it's an eco village or a, you know, intentional community or even a permaculture garden or whatever, at whatever scale, or in my own experience, I'm realizing, holy shit, the same stuff is I become more process literate um, and more aware of, of what I'm focusing on and, and what's going on and, and what that means for the outcomes. This stuff applies a hundred percent as, as equally to my relationship with my wife and my children and my relationship to my process of cooking dinner you know, or, or laying out my, my living room. It just, and that, that was a crazy kind of epiphany for me several years ago. I was like, holy shit, this is not about designing um, ecological systems anymore. It's the more I go into that, the more general this gets. Um, one, one, one colleague I was thinking of as you were talking to was Dave Jackie, who would be amazing for you guys to connect if you haven't already, but he's very much about becoming the same stuff about the more conscious of process. I remember one time him, him saying to me, he, he tries to pay attention to what's going on in his awareness as a process is unfolding. Um, one time he said, I try and catch myself making a key design decision. <laughs> and he, he always, he always, he, he sees it coming and it's like this little blackout and then he's looking back at it and he's, he's trying to get better at actually noticing these moments, which um, I found the work I've done with you and, and what I've learned from you is, is so much about that. Just becoming really clear and aware of, of the dynamics of what's going on right now inside me and what, what that means mm -hmm. for what happens next. Yeah. No, I there's this using the word conscious it implies something uh a, a final state or if i'm conscious of something then that's as conscious as i can be about it for example or that there is a state of consciousness that you can achieve that is the final state of consciousness about anything in particular and i don't think that's true I think, I, I don't actually know how it works, but I think consciousness is some kind of a fractal thing where I get a little bit of consciousness here, but there's a much higher resolution of consciousness about the same thing that I can have. And it blows me away if I look back in my life and see what I've learned about that I didn't know that I didn't know about, it just blows me away. Even though at the time, back then, I thought I was a hotshot. You know, I thought I had it together. I thought I understood things. I thought things were really working, you know. And, and in fact, if I could only go back there with what I know now, okay, well, five years from now, I'm going to think the same thing about this moment. And so it's this, it's, it's an, it's, um, I think that's one of the hidden uh, insights about consciousness is that it's in flux or it evolves or it it's possible to become more and more consciousness conscious and i don't think there's a top end i really don't think there's a top end and that's i think it's bothersome for the western mind because we want to think that there is a top end there is a, a set level of consciousness and the, the the thing about the evolution of consciousness is the evolution part which is okay here I am, I've got this awareness, I have this understanding, I see things as I see them, and it is like it is. And then all of a sudden, the, the, the rug is pulled out. And, and I'm falling in a, in, a, in a spaciousness of a vaster consciousness or more awareness, where I don't know the limits of it right now. So there's no, I have no reference points, I've got no I've got, I don't know where I am or how it's going or what happens next that I'm in this, it's liquid state. I call it a liquid state where things are reordering both inside me and around me so that 
my relationship to to my projects and my work and the people is in a shift state and that liquid state is we're not trained for that in or in our in a western world we're not trained for that and you know you can look at plants and you can see them go through you know winter spring summer fall winter you can see them go through these cycles but i don't think we've included that in ourselves because we you can go through a winter spring summer fall winter cycle in a matter of a few minutes when when you realize something new and that but the dissolution state the the composting state the the state of going back into becoming fertilizer for yourself out of which you know it's out of which the next thing emerges and grows uh that's we're not trained in that and we i think it's crucial oversight i think I think this is such an integral part of consciousness and the evolution of consciousness that if we don't start doing that right away, um, we're, we're stuck. This is really, I think, a big stuck place. Yeah, totally, totally. As, as you're talking, um, the, 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 like a plant going through the cycles, I, I actually, I'm thinking of um, a metaphor I often use, which is around the like an acorn, right? To, to germinate and grow, this, the shell has to crack, and this mm. evolution and consciousness, um, or just or, you know, consciousness awareness of our of our of our inner workings of our processes, that we're constantly developing shells, which are really useful because they support and hold the process to ha that needs to happen then to happen, mm. like the, you know, the cocoon of the of the butterfly that's yet to. To, to happen but at some point their job is to crack and fall away and, and to be uh, become fertilized and as as i i hadn't made as clear the connection with that that's exactly my experience of doing the work i have a, I have a little bit of, i'm noticing a bit of frustration <laughs> for some listeners I'm, I'm just like jesus i just want you to come along to one of these bloody experiences because we're talking about it and that's great and you can think about it but um uh and, and, and as you explain you like to present these ideas so the mind can grasp them such that when you go into the experience and your your mind is freaking out because it's you haven't <laughs> been before and shells are cracking and um you know in a sense all hell is breaking loose inside um you, your mind can at least your mind can say oh well oh, he, he, yeah he just they just explained it it's <laughs> <This is> okay <laughs> and, and that kind of thing but yeah, and you you mentioned the idea of um, or another one of your maps, which you which you brought in from somewhere else, but was this progression from um, unconscious incompetence, and it, it relates so much to my own journey with permaculture design. Because initially, I was unconscious that my the process I was using professionally, um, personally, was was it had become incompetent, and then I slowly realised, oh right, I'm aware of the fact that I'm using these process dynamics, you know, with with stuff I'd learned about rationally dominant master planning finish your design then start your implementation all this kind of stuff I, I was effectively selling pretty pictures to clients you know here's your master plan here's your invoice um i became conscious that that was that that was an incompetent process in terms of really achieving what i want to achieve in the world and then you go through that phase of um so what you've got you're, you're unconscious you're you're incompetent you become conscious you're incompetent which is is a shell cracking experience you know you it's you go into a liquid state it's part of you wants to say i'll just forget that i'll just keep doing what i'm doing because that was safe and reliable and it paid the bills you know but i got to the point where the, the crack was wide enough that it was just like nah it's gonna fall away um and then and so and then you become uh oh yeah you you become conscious of your competence or your increasing competence even though it's a endless evolution and then eventually unconsciously competent and and, and again this new kind of layer 
of, of working and being in process becomes unconscious, which lays the ground and I guess over time ossifies and rigidifies into another shell for the next, for the next round. Yeah. Yeah. The, there's a trick there, which is to not let it ossify. Okay. And so, and really for that, it requires, in my experience, it requires a kind of a support team or a group of people who, who can sur- you know, be like the, the background or the support so that when, as soon as you get to this unconscious competence, where you, where, where the new skills, the new perceptions and new abilities have become who you are, they're like integrated, you, you work them without even thinking about it, you move in the new ways. When, when that happens, the team around you says, okay, time for the next breakthrough. And there's no real time for things to solidify. You just keep in the flow. And that's why we call this learning spiral, is you just keep moving along. But without the other team, I know people who, who make it to the unconscious competence in one area and then solidify a, a reputation or copyright a process or a method and think, that they've achieved something that is going to last them the rest of their lives. And I think, I think if we looked around, we could basically agree that the background purpose of the universe is evolution, you know? And so if we have a, a part of us inside, inside of ourselves, that's able to evolve, but it's defended by this, this, structure that we build around ourselves the acorn shell if we ossify into this defensive position the universe is going to just eventually get pissed off because it wants the the organic being part of ourselves the the thing that can evolve to evolve and it's just going to hammer us with with some kind of a, a like you said a crack a new crack and when the universe has to hammer us to make a crack it costs us our bank account or our marriage or you know, a leg or, uh, you know, whatever, it, it costs us something really big. So I think in a way, permaculture itself may have ossified to some degree, maybe may have may have solidified itself as a defensive position against against the evolutionary process. And it, what, what if you do that in kindergarten? You know, what if you do that in kindergarten and there's so much more to learn and unfold and you know that could come out of there it's it's really uh detrimental to the to the genius the original genius behind permaculture there was because it's pure genius you know it was brilliant it's a it's an original invention out of nothing it had so much of a and then to come into a a, a defensive maybe even crystallized positions of territoriality you know this this is one this is the way to do this this is the way to do that this is the the finished product of of permaculture i i don't think that's a healthy state i don't think that's the way and you can only do that if you eliminate the word consciousness from from the formation of what permaculture is and when you add consciousness back in it's going to take the thing into a liquid state it's going to melt it down into this flow again and i this is this is on the one hand really scary and on the other hand what what the most wonderful thing that could possibly happen yeah 100 percent. oh it's so beautifully articulated and because and, and, yeah, my i've i've the last few years i'm just getting I'm, I'm, I'm you know kind of cautious guy and a little sensitive to <laughs> criticism but i've been pointing out some of these cracks and um and copping remarkably little flack you know even though that is there and, and i'm actually in some ways i'm happy at there I'm, I'm happy that to me, and sometimes I think, oh, great, at least I want some evidence that permaculture's immune system is still intact. 
because of course you don't just want anyone to be come along and just sort of shift the whole thing um so some defensiveness is um, you know, I'm kind of glad to have a bit of that, but the vast majority of the responses, because making permaculture stronger is all about this. Like I, I, I think as, as I've expressed to you and others, um, I, I call me crazy, but I genuinely believe that right now permaculture is having an existential crisis that it's largely mm. unconscious of, um, mm. and that it's standing at a fork in the path and it has a decision to make and the decision is adapt or die. And the adaption is around, yeah, liquefying and loosening up and, and bringing out into conscious awareness again, our process understandings um, and, 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 and collaborating and getting really excited about evolving those and, 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 and kind of having a laugh about the fact, like, how, how the hell did this happen? How did this fall off the table? Because it's, it's so core and crucial to what permaculture is all about. And to me, it's, you know, permaculture's potential, um, as David Holmgren's uh, said at a talk in April last year, that part of what permaculture is about and includes is all these great things, all these great outcomes, ways of, techniques and strategies for doing stuff on the land and, and laying things out, um, which the rest of the culture, the larger culture that permaculture sits within, it, it, it can check out and it can pluck out the ones it likes and, and take them in different directions. And it leaves behind the failures because part of what mm. permaculture is, is an experiment. Let's find out what works and doesn't work before we don't have that luxury. But, so I said, well, what, if, the, if that's what we think permaculture is, then what does permaculture get left with? The stuff that didn't work <laughs> as opposed to, the thing that can't really be copy and pasted um, uh, is, which is healthy process, conscious process. And, mm. and it, I mean, I know so many listeners will be saying, hell yes. Like I just talked to so many people that are starving, hungry for this kind of stuff. And I think you're exactly right that um, along the way, there was some sort of ossification and um, that, that critical part of permaculture's agenda and what it's all about has fallen off the radar. And, and, and in my col collaborations with David Holmgren, the, the surviving of the two co-founders of permaculture, I was, I've been kind of shocked and amazed that he, he, he explored a lot of the same territory 35 years ago or something or something. Whoa. Yeah. He, he, he was introduced by, to something called strategic planning by one of his, his second great mentor, Hakai Tani. And, um, and that was all about, uh, kind of, uh, transformative, iterative, deep immersion. Um, it was, it was about getting away from the, all the master planning stuff. And, and David, um, at the time when he saw, I guess the ossification start or one thing he saw was um, design process solutions coming in from outside permaculture that didn't really match with what it was all about. Mm. Um, and, and in a sense, I mean, I'm pretty sure he's the way he's put it. He's, I don't know if I'd say give, he gave up, but he, he's really struggled to, um, to get that point across. And it's only in recent years that he's really starting to speak out about mm. this again. And another, another thing that he shared to me that's so relevant is that, David is a um, is a master at reading landscape, so he is. I mean, I'm think I'm getting footage and, and writing what I see. I like to watch him. I like to observe. One of my hobbies is observing him observe landscape, and it's just incredible <laughs> to see him unpacking a landscape and taking little indicators. And wow, um, one thing he said though is that when I feed back what I'm seeing him do, is that he it's 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 helped him increase his consciousness, his awareness of what he's doing because he's struggled in the past also to, to teach reading landscape to others. Because of course, when he's reading landscape, his focus is on the landscape, yeah. not on what he's doing to read landscape. And so one thing that I just feel so grateful for, and it's a big part of why I'm still so excited to be part of permaculture is, is, is David's just his humility. And yeah, like we, we don't have it all sewn up and I'm, I'm excited to be learning more about what I'm doing when I'm in a healthy process. 
Um, and so to me, that bodes so well for, well, permaculture choosing the, <laughs> the grow and adapt and evolve um, um, juncture. And, and I, I mean, let me state this as a prediction. Um, I believe that possibility management has a really exciting, crucial contribution to make to this whole conversation. So I predict that, say, five years from now or you know, in the coming years, that, that permaculturists will be hearing this phrase more often and that there's going to be some really exciting synergies uh, emerging and oh i guess i guess this conversation right now is <laughs> part of you know contributing to that seeding that which mm. i'm deep honored to be part of yeah i was i was while you were talking i was realizing how consciousness is a field and the the evolution process of letting letting uh letting go of the current defended knowingness about what is about for example permaculture one hopes or one would think in our human condition we would think well if i'm going to change i am is in the design you know i need to know i need to have a vision of the design i need to know the outcome of the design i need to kind of predict where this is going to go and that all of those are completely excluded in the domain of evolution evolution is called evolution because you don't know what the outcome is going to be you cannot know what the outcome will be and this is oh this is really this is scary this is scary stuff it's like and well it's thrilling also i mean it's exciting also and there's uh this field effect of consciousness what i've found since since i started radically relying on the field of consciousness to support the evolution of our own work in possibility management and i think the same thing can happen in in permaculture that we can start to radically rely on the intelligence of the field of consciousness to guide the evolution even though we have no idea of what the outcome will look like and so and what that means is taking apart the thing and letting letting the pieces go in flux with each other in relationship with each other without already having some design concept of where we're headed for because the intelligence that i've found is so far vaster than what i could imagine an outcome of the design to be it's far more intelligent complex sophisticated elegant beautiful and efficient and effective than i could even imagine in my my biggest brightest moments it just blows my mind over and over again but it requires this letting go of the grip on the known you know in modern culture hammers in us through its educational systems and its constructs how important knowing is one of the worst possible things you can say is i don't know or one of the one of the per worst possible experiences not knowing already the answer to what their teacher is going to call on us to have if we don't know the answer to that already we're in deep shit so so like this is hammered into us at a very deep almost cellular nervous level having to know and and on the and it's so contradictory to the evolution of consciousness and so if, to use the into to surf on or to fly with or to float in this in the intelligence of this field of consciousness with regards to inner and outer permaculture work is i think it's a um, such a huge possibility it's such a huge and at the same time it requires a, a, a new set of skills it's almost like uh um 
we're, we're designed to fly and we've been trained to crawl on our bellies in a way. And it's like, okay, okay, what are we talking about here? Well, there's a way that, there's a way that uh, our inner experience, I, I don't know, maybe, I don't know how it is for you, but in my relationships with other people, I keep thinking I understand how things go. And so, for example, in a group, in a team, you know, permaculture is not done one person at a time. Permaculture is done in groups and teams and projects. So there's a there's this field of the project, and it's it has more intelligence than the individual participants. And so relying on that field in um, to evolve the consciousness of the people as fast as is necessary to evolve the consciousness of the project in, in the sophistication and elegance. This, this is a whole new set of skills. And I think that's where we're going with this. Oh, so much so. <laughs> My spine's been tingling. Um, oh, yeah, that's, that's, that's great. Like, um, I've, I've mentioned Yasha Raw, a German colleague, um, and, and he, mm-hmm. he's, He's been on the same journey. He, he realized some decade or two back um, that that permaculture didn't have the process solutions he was striving for. So he's about he's about what he calls the um, the field process model. And he he has a really uh, distinction I love between what he calls procedures and processes, or procedure and process. And he says you you, you pull in you need you need both, or or you need procedures, and hopefully they'll get you to process. But you um, he he described procedures as like you. Um, you, you put your surfboard on the car and you drive to the gas station, you drive to the ocean and you're paddling out. These are all procedures. At some point, all going well, you catch a wave and then the process starts. And for him, <laughs> how he talks about it is, is in terms of a field, is that your, your job is to immerse, um, he calls it emergence, um, which later, later the emergence happens, but you, um, you emerge, you immerse, and uh, your job is to achieve a state of what he calls field intuition or field resonance. And, mm. and for me, along with what you've just said, that's been just the most exciting part of my journey as a, as a permaculture designer is to, mm. is to move from being the expert designer whose job is to um, think of clever things and impose them on the site, um, which is what we're trained to do culturally. And I think that's probably a big part of this, what it means to be crawling <laughs> rather, rather than flying mm. and, and learning to, to trust and honor healthy process and the, yeah, the, the intelligence of um, the kind of greater intelligence, all the different people and the plants, the immersing in the field of the whole system. And, and instead the process, rather than being kind of a microcosm or a, a new iteration of really um, imposition, which is kind of colonial imperial stuff, you know, it's like basically plonk something on the site from outside. You should do this because I, I thought oh, I'm going to draw on a piece of paper and then impose it. Um, flipping that totally upside down. And, and how, how does the process become like a gateway or a portal through which these, like you say, this insanely beautiful, alive, whole, perfectly adapted solutions can emerge where the feeling is, I can't remember where I got, I heard this quote from someone, but they said the feeling of a life fully lived is, is like a continuous free fall into the unknown. It's like, all, all you can do is be here now and, and nourish and support the conditions for something, for the right thing to emerge now, the, the, the best step to take now. And you take it and then the whole, the whole field is, you know, it sends a riffle, ripple through the field. It's a different field now. And, and, and realizing how much time we spend generally, um, myself anyway, uh, culturally and then as a permaculture, permaculturally, um, playing around, going into the future with our minds, you know, and I used to say, okay, so this is where you'll be in 10 years. So I'm going to draw you a picture of where everything will be in 10 years. And, 
and how every moment you spend 10 years from now or one year from now or 10 minutes from now, every second you spend there is a second you're, you're not here. You're not present to what's going mm. on right now. And, and we, we can never predict how things, well, that would be terrible if we could, right? Um, mm. But even if we, well, I mean, I don't think it's even possible. And so what does this mean? For, and, and, and like you say, it doesn't matter if it's architecture or permaculture or, or group relationships or eco-villages. I, I, I totally hear you. It's exciting mm -hmm. to hear you languaging it in your own way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, was, I think it's important for everybody to understand that not everybody needs to be an expert or master of process for the entire permaculture system, for example, to benefit from it. It's almost like if you think about a jumbo jet going over from London to New York, not everybody needs to be a pilot. So, you know, a few pilots and, and crew and staff can actually get this, this whole thing to, to shift from one continent to another continent. And it's, um, it's, a, it's one of the specialty skills, I think, within permaculture, like the evolution and, and uh, transformation part of the permaculture game world can, is, needs to blossom, basically. And it doesn't mean everybody, you know, that we, we still need the research. We still need the, the basic research and the, and the fundamentals. And then we still need the procedures. Like you said, we definitely need the procedures and the ways that it goes. And between the two, is these evolutionary process steps and guiding guiding processes through the liquid state, you know, the the the, the falling apart state and the the reordering states and calling in the forces of the consciousness and awareness and the, the and the outcome, like when a thing starts coming together into new outcomes, documenting that, you know, bring making it communicated, communicating that. And you know, bringing it into the practical parts, like that that whole middle stage of the the process part is is a set of specialty skills that not everybody in permaculture needs to have, but they but it it is it should it somehow needs to be included, needs to be integral into the whole game world of permaculture. That the um, when process is needed the process navigators need to be there and like take the thing apart, pull the thread out. The thing needs to fall into its components and reorder themselves and new stuff, things fall away, new stuff comes in, new, new possibilities emerge and then it kind of flies out again and that's this ongoing thing. And so, but it's, um, if people in the permaculture right now look at themselves and go, hey, well, I don't really have the process navigation skills, you know, I, I'm not a process wizard, you know, I'm not, I haven't, I haven't spent 30, 40, 50 years um, finding those tools and skills and thought maps, like you said, and processes and models. It doesn't mean they don't exist because they do. That's what I'm saying. And so this, this where I see this uh, a positive outcome of the integration of, for example, things like possibility management being coming in and playing their role in the emergence of like the death and resurrection show of, of permaculture as it goes through this, like you said, this choice point. You know, and I, I imagine not everybody's gonna make the same choice and permaculture is already splintered into a number of different philosophies or something like that. 
um, but the ones who make the the choice point to include the process part of permaculture and the also the inner process part of permaculture so you have inner permaculture and outer permaculture as part of the game world I think it's just if I was to estimate five years from now they'll be more thriving it'll be the more thriving part and the more exciting part and attractive and and nutritious and inspirational part you know the one that's really taking off into new territory yeah no well put that's great yeah i, I was um you're talking about because as i've mentioned to you in some of our chats one one phenomenon i've noticed in permaculture is um so in a, it's a kind of splintering in the sense that um you know somewhere along the way someone realized oh permaculture there's nothing that's been really applying permaculture to finances so let's do some stuff on financial permaculture let's do some stuff on um, spiritual permaculture or there's there's movements within permaculture around women's permaculture um you know creating um kind of healthy spaces um for for these different aspects of the of, i guess you could say the broader permaculture agenda and a concern i've had is as wonderful and important as, as, as that is i mean i talked to someone yesterday who's doing some work to start um uh, the global community or group around permaculture how and health and the healthcare profession and so on my mm -hmm. my concern is that yeah and as you're talking i realize oh yeah it's almost like because the thing is all of those things involve process mm -hmm. and 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 if if our process literacy is low or we're not the consciousness is not particularly high what we're going to be taking with us from the permaculture kind of mainstream into all those little pockets is the yeah. same issues you know so we're, 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 it's like a what are the the hydra situation um the the thing is splitting um, and in the past, I, I haven't. It's, it, I, I like your way of thinking. It's almost like one of those things, and a core one is perm, the permaculture process kind of people or group. And 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 like you say, not everyone. That that's not going to be everyone's thing, and that would be a problem if it was everyone's thing. But that 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 is appreciated as a critical part of the bigger picture, and that all of these different bits and pieces um, are somehow in communication with that. And, and it's not all these separate conversations where people. Are, well, I believe down the track, if, if all these bits and pieces evolve in a healthy way, they're effectively going to be making the same discoveries in their own way. So let's, you know, let's, mm. let's, let's re reduce the extent, the need to invent the wheel and be careful to, you know, the, the, the problematic stuff that we might be taking along with all the good stuff when we go off in this direction or, or that direction. One thing I was going to mention actually too was, was I one thing I was really appreciating when I was paying attention to possibility management and, I mean, it's early days for me, but I'm fascinated by the dynamics of these kinds of things. Um, and I really did have a sense that um, whether or not it was ever at a fork in the path, that it, it just has this aliveness to it. And, and the, the maps, the, the experiments, everything, it really does feel like it's honoring um, evolution and things are shifting and changing and like dealing with yourself. There's just, I didn't pick up any dogma or any, you know, and I figured this out 20 years ago, so that's how it is. Um, where I'm conscious in permaculture, well, I know there's room for improvement there. Um, that that some of the stuff that say Bill Mollison and David Holmgren laid out sometimes is sort of uncritically accepted. Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of it's, as you said, genius, amazing, brilliant stuff. But they're still humans. They're still mortals, and of course, of course, it can be improved, right? Like anything can be improved. Nothing's finished and perfect. That's part of the whole point of of how nature works and evolution works. And and I I know that David sometimes has had concerns about the extent to which um, even some of his ideas are, are, are you know, he, he wants people to be criticizing and, 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 you know, not, not just purely criticizing, but healthy self 
critical reflection as part of the evolution um, where, where that's all that stuff, like all the foundational understandings aren't just outsourced to the founders or a small group of kind of elites or something that, it, that it's decentralized. It's, it's de-hierarchicalized um, and, and we can all take ownership of participating in permaculture's evolution rather than some of people are kind of generating the stuff and other people are consumers or recipients, you know, because that's not, that's not how nature rolls. Yeah, at the same time, at the same time, the ones who go first are almost perceived as enemies. It's like this imaginal cell model, you know, as the, as the caterpillar changes into the butterfly, that paste state, the, the first cells that start reforming into the new shape are attacked as uh, foreign bodies to the original design. And so, um, but you said, um, and which is fortunate that you haven't been attacked for making some proposals in the in the recent past, so I suppose you can keep going making these proposals. And <laughs> but I, I think it's really healthy for people to remember that if something has appeared to work, that we have this human tendency to grip onto it, you know, and go, okay, this is the way, or this is the procedure, or this is this works, and so don't rock the boat, you know, don't. Don't don't go off and try something new because why bother? I mean, this is so far working. And then when you take the bigger picture of of for example permaculture, um, is it if is it working? The the rapid um, monoculturization of the planet's agricultural systems and the rapid rapid degradation of the diversity of ecosystems and the and the fact that um, permaculture hasn't taken over, for example, governments, you know, who are have these huge militaries and they're still fighting against each other over, over oil, which is a, a limited resource that we're burning as fast as possible. I mean, there's a lot of, you could say, insanity involved in, in the current systems that are um, obviously limited in their, their future is limited. <clears throat> their their best of used by date has is past, and um, so there's ways that permaculture could have should have has not yet permeated into mainstream cultures structures and things that that, um, that need new vitality. They need uh, a complete regeneration into a whole other context and a whole other format. I call it next culture. I call it the culture that comes after matriarchy and patriarchy. I call it archiarchy. It's this emergence into regenerative and sustainable, I mean, it emergence into a, a, a better form of permaculture that involves both inner and outer. And uh, that whoever goes first is <clears throat> easily attackable or um, can be considered a wild card or a dangerous element or somebody who's off the track or who's lost it or however you want to say it, it's easy to try to undermine and attack the people who are trying new things first. And on the same hand, those, those are also leaders are the ones who go first. Leaders aren't the ones who have control. Leaders are simply the ones who go first. And uh, the early adopters will be the ones listening to your show probably and and carrying, you know, like trying to go, okay, how, trying to wrap their minds around something 
that you're saying you can't actually wrap your mind around. You know, if consciousness is bigger than your mind, how are you going to wrap your mind around consciousness? And yet consciousness is the theme of where we need to go with this. Yeah, totally. Wow. Is your one thing when you're talking about invigorating, you know, um, permaculture, I had this, um, image come up of, of at the least possibility management being like a really, um, kick-ass green smoothie or something. <laughs> permaculture couldn't hurt to take a, take a um, hit off, you know, some pretty amazing yeah. micro and macronutrients in there and just quite mm -hmm. amazing combinations. Yeah. Wow. I was also thinking, we haven't talked to this about it, and this probably isn't the time, but one, one of the things that um, I think is part of permaculture's reinvigoration and, and, and healthy evolution um, is, is really cracking open this whole thing around, uh, firstly, the simplistic dichotomy of feelings and you know, intuition and intelligence, let's say, or logic and, um, and feelings. Um, and, 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 and work, because the, the thing being that often it's presented as a dichotomy culturally. So I'm constantly confronted by people that say, well, this is how I work. I work intellectually, rationally. And, and some of the contexts I work in like um, development contexts, mm. if I say, have you thought about, or have you thought about, or have you done anything around how it would feel to walk down the street or through this space? Um, that's just off the radar. You know, it's, 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 I think perceived as Christopher Alexander spent a lot of time exploring. It's perceived as subjective, um, a subject of distraction, you know, like we, there's no time for intuition and feeling here. This is about rational, scientific, logical progress. We've got a, a building to build or whatever, or, or, or whatever. And one of the things I'm so excited and grateful to have picked up from my work with you so far is, is, is this idea that um, how I think of it is feelings aren't random. They're not some random accident that are just kind of in the way. And our job is to repress them and get them to one side so we can get on with it. You know? <laughs> saving the planet or whatever the case may be mm -hmm. around kickers that um they're this phenomenally powerful useful resource that that we're born to be connected mm. with and to enter and, and to use and to channel and to listen to and um I, just, I guess i just wanted to float that because i know a lot of people out there str struggle with this stuff um and you know, and sometimes it's like, oh, you bring the logic, I'll bring the intel, the 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 feeling. Whereas yeah. we're all we're all built to to have that dichotomy dissolve into the the wholeness, the the larger being that we are, and and they're, mm -hmm. they're there to play together. And of course, there's 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 other things as well that I've learned about from you. Um, in addition to that, where I'm starting to realise for me what I mean by holistic, holistic design or holistic decision making is on literally honouring the whole, honouring the wholeness of who we are as individuals and groups and that that brings a whole new perspective on on design process in terms of of honoring feelings honoring intelligence um honoring honoring the whole the whole shebang yeah yeah because most of us have been brought up in a westernized education system and starting with even grade school and high school and then university and postgraduate work it's it's it all has this intellectually oriented um, verbal reality context and uh, where we're actually doing defensive learning which is where we're only able to learn about things that we already know about and we build a knowledge continent with these pieces of information if, the, if something doesn't fit onto the already existing um, kind of group um, we say the, the average intelligence if it doesn't fit into that it's invisible 
or it's it's thought to be meaningless or useless. But what we've been finding in the in our 40 years of research research and possibility management is that there are huge inner and outer resources that a human being has to use in their design work, in their creative in the creation work. The conscious creation work is huge inner and outer resources that modern culture knows nothing about and cannot, of course, initiate us into tapping into, preparing ourselves to tap into and tapping into these resources that are both inside of ourselves and outside of ourselves. And, and this is all part of the permaculture world. It's all part of it that needs to be. It needs, those resources are, as you said, they're elementary and fundamental to the, the successful emergence of, of the, the new permaculture or inner, inner permaculture and outer permaculture working together through the process of it. Those resources are needed. And they're, they're, um, not so, uh, they're not so elementary as just simple feelings. There's huge, there's, there's extraordinary and archetypal resources available to us. And we're, we're designed for this, like I said, we're actually designed in part of our potential that the intelligences of which are um, being left behind at the moment. Um, and they're, they're the opposite of boring. They're like, they're immensely intelligent, immensely inspiring, immensely bring huge uh, um, passion to our life and work that was not obvious before. You know, completely not obvious before, and yet totally available. Um, this is exciting stuff. Mm, yeah, I, I was that, that five-day training I did with you. I'd say that was the or among the two or three least boring things I've done in my life. <laughs> and 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 yeah, and, and for me, and I've you know, I was doing my best kind of by myself to figure out some of these things. Um, but mm -hmm. yeah, I felt like I was working with the tip of what I now realize is this incredible mm. um, iceberg and just yeah, the, the resources we have available within us and all around us that we're, we, we're born to have access to and, and mm. how that involves um, kind of growing up, maturing and, and, and how mm. part of where you're coming from is that we, we were built to sort of be initiated into adulthood from children at around age 18 and that all those processes by and large have fall into the wayside and so mm. we we can go through life being uninitiated children where we we're not initiated into accessing these incredible resources that are at our disposable at our disposal and the other side of it being it, well you have this thing where you, where you move beyond win lose and you win win you go you keep going beyond win win to what you call winning happening um uh, but that it's good it's good in every direction so you know mm. I'm, I'm acknowledging that that i'm I've still got a lot of growing up to do. <laughs> I feel like I'm kind of, in a sense, exploring authentic adulthood for the first time and exciting, but and it's really good for me. It's incredible for my relationships, for my marriage, for my mm. dad. It's phenomenal for my value I can bring to my um, design clients and processes. And of course it's good for the landscapes. It's just good in all directions. There's no, there's no downside. Um, and so you just kind of wonder, well, Jesus, you know, I try not to think too, too much about the fact it's taken me, I'm, I'm 44. <laughs> and I'm starting to grow up, but so be it. And I'm excited that, well, at least it wasn't 60 or 80 or, you know, it never happened. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, I should, uh, you, your listeners should know that um, even though I sound like an American, I moved out of America in 1995. I was, I was born there, but I moved out in 95 to Europe 
And I now don't have an American passport anymore. I have a, a German passport. And I, I, the possibility management was not invented until I, I was outside of America. So it was actually did not, so the stuff that I'm talking about did not come from America. It's not an American thing. This is, it puts people off to, to think of it as an American thing, but it's not. It came in Europe, from Europe. It could only happen when I was outside of the morphogenetic field of America. It could become more myself. And so, and the, the other exciting thing is that uh, there's people in Australia who are calling possibility management into around Melbourne and Sydney. Uh, and um, there's some trainers coming in, even in March, it's possible to find expand the box trainings happening in Australia in March, I'm pretty sure. Just it's easy to Google and find that information. But uh, it's, um, it's, it's available if people wanna make, find out more about it experientially themselves. So that would be, that would be great for people to um, realize and make, and make use of as a, as a resource. A hundred percent, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I've, I've, I'm kind of reaching the conclusion that if, when I'm considering um, serious ongoing collaborations with other people, um, if they can go to, to one of these expander box trainings, you know, just the potential of the whole thing is, is off the charts. And I'm looking forward yes. to continuing with some of the kind of, the, you know, there's these things called possibility labs that you can continue on with. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. I've, I've been thinking about how I talk about it to people because on the one hand, I can't recommend it enough. Um, on the other hand, don't come back and tell me but the, like the way, the way it works is this five day training, the way it started was, there was sort of, sort of an, an intellectual survey of the territory we'd cover. And then there was a decision to be made, which was the blue or the red pool. Do you stick around? And as you said, and I'll never forget this, if you stick around, we cannot protect you from transformation. Uh, um, right. So, okay. <laughs> we'll see, see what happens. Um, and transformation happened, you know, a deep experiential, powerful, um, liquid state transformation, falling into the unknown, a whole lot of feelings that I hadn't, really accessed before and and or and mm -hmm. it certainly hadn't had the relationship where i can now start calling them in as resources so it's true that i can't recommend it enough but be be warned um this is not this is the opposite of boring <laughs> this, is, this is why i call authentically transformative you know and, and i you know i i check things out um and so it's yeah it's 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 got my uh, gratitude and approval and and i'll certainly link to everything that's happening in new zealand australia mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff and invite anyone out there who's who's already been exploring these overlaps between possibility management and permaculture, please get in touch. Let's hook up and, and explore because I'll certainly be doing what I can to, to facilitate mm. this, um, this conversation. It's just so resonant with what I know permaculture so kind of deeply needs to continue to thrive and evolve and, and, and realize its incredible potential and really express its essence, you know, its beautiful essence, its foundational ethics and principles and all that stuff. Um, it needs a little help. From its friends. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess we're about out of time, Clinton. I, yeah. Thanks so much for your work, for existing, for sending that book to David Holmgren at just the right time so I could snatch it off his coffee table um, and, <laughs> and feel so much less alone in this work and, and supported to, to grow and evolve and get better at, at being part of all this. And I can't wait to stay connected and see where it all goes from here. All right, Dan. Well, we'll talk to you soon. Done.